So the big question is this, are you tired of the hustle and grind of fix and flip? Do you really think you can wholesale your way to success? What you really want is a cash flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom, sunsets and palm trees on your terms. But what if you're stuck because you have no capital, no time and no idea where to start? That ends now. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started out with no money or credit and quickly grew a portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. Not to mention, he did it all with other people's money. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life, and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. So now, here's your host, the big kahuna, Corey Peterson. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson. The show today is gonna be, is filled with we got a baller, and I want to call it almost like I want to say like an MF baller. I want to say the word. His name is Michael Becker. He runs a firm called SPI Advisory. He has over eight thousand units uh, that he's done. He, I think he currently owns like maybe six thousand or something like that. You said, but he did it in a fairly relative short period of time, like a span of six years. That's a big feat. And we're going to talk today about how he's done it through is what I think is the most important thing in the world, relationships. And so, Michael, welcome to the show, brother. Hey, Corey. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. So, unpack. You got to give me the short little version of how you blew up, but let's yeah. get in and then let's, we'll get, we'll kind of get into the minutia of what I think is the most important part of what we've talked about before we got on the show, which is the relationship building that you've done. Cause that's, that's really yeah. is amazing. Yeah, well, uh, you know, Michael Becker, based in Dallas, Texas, got into the business because I was I was a banker, so I was loaning money to other people on uh, on apartment complexes, and kind of realized that process was on the wrong side of all those deals. It's kind of better to be the, the borrower than the lender, and uh, kind of you know looking at a bunch of guys like you making loans to, and and thinking like, man, if if, if this guy can do it, I can do it. So uh, so went out, uh, started in uh, 2011, started buying some smaller stuff like single family stuff like that, kind of rent houses, my own money. Yeah, kind of through that process, realized it wasn't very scalable. So I uh, transitioned in 2013, and uh, as we talk right now, uh, in July we close on our 30 38th deal, uh, right at about 8,000 units, and uh, we've gone full cycle on 17 of them. So I've refinanced four that we still own today, and then we've sold 13 for some pretty substantial profit. So as we talk, about 5,800 units. Uh, majority of that stuff's up in Dallas, Fort Worth, where I'm at, and then my business partner's based in Austin. So those are kind of two markets. Kind of buying our own backyard, and you know, have a as you kind of alluded to, you know, so like that's like a hell yeah, brother, dude. That's what I want to yeah. give you is a hell yeah, brother. Right? <laughs> that's uh, dude, that's cool as hell. So from a banker looking at other people's balance sheets and seeing like, gosh dang, they're making some money. I might need to figure this out. Right. That's and, right. And how did you kind of walk into like, so I, I see you on the other side of that, but that transition to go from that spot to like, I'm going to get my own deal. Was that scary well, you know, as hell or uh, did it just seem like it transitioned yeah, you know well? what it was? was I was sitting there at work and, you know, I, I was I was really motivated, right? I really want to get at it. I really want to get going. You know, one of the things that really happened to me was I'm, I'm 41 now. I just turned 41 and uh, it's back in 20, 2010, so in my early 30s. My mom, my mom passed away. So she passed away when she was she was fifty seven years old. And her and my dad kind of saved their entire life for the you know kind of live for retirement in the future. And then I kind of got taken away right before she's able to go enjoy it. So that was kind of like a, a moment in my life that really kind of 
said, hey, you know, shit, I'm not, it's not going to be me, right? You know, I don't know how much time I have on this, this life. So you got to kind of balance, you know, being a, a steward of money, living below your means, accumulates of capital, go on the best. That's kind of what I was doing at that point in my life. But at some point, I want to go out and be able to experience life and live a little bit while I'm young enough to, to go out and do it. So that, you know, as soon as kind of got words, past that. not be all work, but have some playtime. That's right, you know, or, or you know, just uh, be independent enough that I can work from wherever I want to work. Yeah, you know, I work from two weeks in Kauai, your favorite place on earth. I work from two weeks this summer in Kauai, you know, uh, just hanging out in Hawaii. And I got as much done in Hawaii as I would back in, in Dallas. Oh, bro. Uh, yeah. Don't make so, me you know, but pigeon, that, bro. That's the kind. You know the kind, bro. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a moment, you know, really cool. Was like, I just got to get out and do something. I couldn't do that if I was going to be a banker, you know, chained to my desk and all that stuff. So, you know, started with, with, uh, you know, coming out of the recession, I started doing small stuff, with my own money. And, you know, it's kind of really just building up confidence. I didn't really need to need to do it, but it was like, you know, if I put 10,000 or 20,000 in this house, I lose it. I'm not going to be on the street corner begging right. for money. You know, I had enough money where I could afford to do that. And it was a great time. I did really well. I was able to turn, you know, turn a little bit of money into, you know, pretty good little nest egg. Yep. And then just realized that uh, doing these little houses, it just wasn't scalable, you know, and I'm just reflecting back to what I do all day, every day, which was loan money to other people. So what I had, you know, I had, I had a little bit of money because I was a good boy and saved my money. I was able to grow that by doing the houses and kind of, you know, form a, a, a somewhat decent nest egg. And then I had a lot of relationships. I had a lot of experience. I just wasn't using to the best of the, the capability because I was a pretty prominent banker in Dallas-Fort Worth. I made a lot of loans on, on these distressed deals kind of coming out of the recession. So all the brokers knew who I were. I knew a lot of the management companies, all the contractors, all that stuff. I just really needed to get everyone in the marketplace to kind of take a perception of me from being a banker into a principal Right. If you do a deal or two, that changes pretty quick. That's what I found out. Almost instantly. Yeah. I mean, instantly, yeah. right? So now I love because so I'm going to unpack this just a little bit. So what, basically what you said is I, I, you know, I saw the deal. I saw what uh, probably more Nirvana, but you didn't say jump right into it. You're like, oh, I'm going to go do the single families. And then you get like most people that do single families that are listening to this podcast. You eventually realize that it sucks. Okay. Yeah. Because it'll suck everything from you. <laughs> But you can still make a little bit of money there, and, and and really, rightfully so. That's what you did is you're able to make some money. But then you really kind of open up your your eyes to the big picture, and you said, "Hey, listen, what do I actually have? Because I actually probably have more relationships than I know that really want to help me. If I yeah. were if I tr- and put myself in the right position, which you said, principal is the word you said, and yeah. that is the key word that we talk about when you're a principal. That means you're the guy signing it, right?" or a part of that group that's going to do the signing. And that is instrumental in the growth. And then, it's not, you know, so relationships, let's talk about how you leveraged that. A couple key relationships, right? So when I'm looking at this, when, when you're doing the deals, you know, as a sponsor or a principal or whatever you want to call it, I call a sponsor, principal, or lead, they're kind of all interchangeable. Yep. Uh, but, you know, to be, to be a sponsor of a deal, you know, you need to be able to, to have access to deals and access to money. Right, those are two yep. things that you need. So, but whether it's debt or equity, you need both, um, and access to, to, to deals. So, um, you know, fortunately in 2013, when I started transitioning over into the, to being a principal and buying, the deals were, were plentiful and they're a lot easier to get. The money was a lot harder back then, and now it's kind of reverse. Right, people are just throwing money at us, and it's harder to try to find the deals. So, it's never it's never a perfect equilibrium. 
you know, and, and if I would have started in 2011, both would have been harder to do, you know, um, would have been really hard to get debt back in 2011. But by 2013, the market had kind of loosened up quite a bit. Yep. The Fannie and Freddie were back in pretty much full force and, you know, people were kind of ready to take risk again with their equity. So it was actually a pretty, pretty darn good time to start, to start this. So what I, what I, what, one of the key things I met really was, was I was uh, at the bank making a loan. I made a lot of loans, made you know, hundreds of loans over a four or five year period, all this distress stuff coming out of 08 through, uh, through when I left in 13. But I met my now business partner. My now business partner was working for a broker out of Beverly Hills. They would help high net worth people from LA and Orange County buy properties in Texas. So I made a loan to one of their clients and I flew out to meet their, their client. I met my now business partner. And uh, so he had a bunch of really, really rich guys that needed people in the market to kind of be uh, put a little bit of money in the deal and kind of serve the asset management, kind of the boots on the ground. Yep. Um, Let and me so run the kinda, project, right? Yeah, that's right. So we met through through just me being a banker, kind of, you know, I kind of just, just talking with these guys. We did a couple of deals. I realized that they needed, they had a need. And I was like, well, I can, I can put, you know, a little bit of money in these deals and I can, I can run them. So, uh, so we kind of leveraged my relationships in the marketplace leverage his capital. We got, we got a bank to give us some money. And that was kind of how we put the first handful of deals together. And we've so now you assembled the team. You assembled the team, okay. right? Cause most of the times it's never, Oh, I, I very rarely do a deal solo. I've always assembled the team and then you put your team and your team goes to work and everybody has a little different piece that they bring to the equation. Right. Yeah, that's right. And then, you know, now we've kind of evolved where we do like larger scale syndications, you know, like last, last year, the last year and this year, Raised twenty five and twenty seven million dollars respectively, uh, you know, hundred thousand at a time, right? You know, that's and, it, man. That's the way it's done, yeah. brother. <laughs> that's it. But you know, when you start out, you don't you don't start there. You kind of grow into that. But we we were fortunate to have a couple of rich guys that were crazy enough to to give us you know million dollar checks each, and we were able to get off and going. And you know, we've we've absolutely crushed it in all these deals. You know, I want to back up just for a minute. I just thought of something. Being a banker probably taught you a lot. I mean, I, I'm just thinking about like. I look back, I always used to be a financial advisor, and I, I learned a lot about money by being working with Edward Jones. But one of the words that I know that my banker uses a lot, and they call it, hey, let's have, let's establish a relationship. It's all about the relationship, yep. right? I mean, they say that a lot, and because it's really it's, it's really about getting to know somebody. And for yep. the bank to know you, you know the bank. And, and really, it doesn't matter if it's a bank or not. It's really anybody that you would come in contact with. So, you know, how do you source, source deals? You got to have a what? A relationship. Relationship with the broker, yeah. 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 How do you build those? Yeah. Well, you know, that, that uh, like I said, I started out because I was I was a lender, so everyone kind of knew who I was. I just had to transition my uh, kind of my slotting in the marketplace from lender to principal. And so we started there. And uh, But, you know, kind of the, the, the easiest way is, you know, if you're starting out and, and you don't have what I have, the background I have, you're just a, a sales guy or engineer or whatever your professional background is, is not in real estate. You know, really the easiest way is you just got to, you know, first get educated, right? So listening to podcasts like this, uh, going to maybe like one of Corey's, uh, Corey's boot camps, trainings, those are good ways to get a base foundation of, 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 educa- of education and apartments. And you got to be able to speak the lingo, right? So if you come out of the gate, the you language, don't understand yep. the basics of it, you're going to be smelled out as a fraud like day one. And you're going to be counterproductive, try to build these relationships because they're going to think of you as someone that's unqualified. And you might not get a second shot at it. So, you know, first and foremost, you got to start with where you're at, humble yourself, get educated, get, get the lingo, get the base, and then start trying to establish relationships. So if you don't have that education, it's too, it's too early, right? Touche, sure. bro. That's, that's words yeah. of wisdom. And, but, the, but, but those relationships will, will come, right? Because, I mean, that's right. 
Didn't you the next thing you? I would really say would just be, you know, like the, the these brokers, you know, they're hired by the sellers. And, uh, you know, you want to get on everyone's list, right? So you're going to want to be in, you know, whatever marketplaces you want to be in. I would encourage you to pick, you know, two, one, two, maybe three kind of marketplaces and then try to get in those marketplaces and start getting on the radar screen. Sign up for all their lists uh, for the brokers, get on their email list and start downloading the packages, start underwriting these deals, start setting up tours with the broker, you know, make sure that you kind of, that's how you start building these relationships, you know, tour by tour, deal by deal. So, you know, set it up, they let them underwrite know that you're, it. You're, you're doing the work, right? Hey, I'm, I'm looking right. at your deals. I'm, um, I'm seeing their deals. Not all of the deals are going to work, but they just like to see that you're doing the work, right? And giving them feedback, right? So if they take the time in Texas in July to tour you at three o'clock when it's a hundred degrees outside or in Phoenix when it's 120 degrees outside on in yeah. the summer, you know, like make sure you give them feedback because, because, you know, it's, 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 they're human and they always want to make sure that they're not just uh, touring to tour and wasting their time. So right. that, and that, that loop is how you start building relationships, uh, a little bit at a time and then if you get the opportunity like tonight's a good example you know i'm going to a uh one of the one of the big uh, ipa which is the institutional part of marcus and Millichap in dallas has an event with a head of ipa and then greg willett from real page and i have like a little event at a steakhouse and i get to go to these things and there'll be you know a bunch of other apartment owners and all the brokers and i'm going to be there tonight and then you know we were just talking before but uh uh you know last week i was in munich germany and three of the top apartment brokers in Dallas will work with there. And one of the banks we borrowed money from sponsored it. So I get to spend, you know, a week in Germany going to Oktoberfest and later hosen with some of the most powerful apartment brokers in Dallas Fort Worth. And if there's ever an opportunity where Corey's going against Michael Becker to buy a deal in Dallas Fort Worth and that broker's involved, who's got the edge, right? I mean, I've spent a week. It's gonna be time. Michael Becker, right? Right. Like and, and that's that's, right. that's the okay. You know, I'm just glad you just told the Munich story. How was Munich, by the way? It was awesome. October you should definitely Fest, go right? do it. If you ever get the opportunity to go uh, go to Munich, it was it was absolutely uh, uh, wonderful. Like we're in Texas, so they have the great State Fair of Texas all going on right now. So it was like a giant State Fair of Texas, but take out the livestock and put in beer tents. And it's pretty much the same thing. So it's pretty awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. And yeah. uh, they they pay they they wine to dine you. Why? Because you took the time to build relationships. And but now relationship you got to still transact, and that's the part of this yep. business. That when they know that you're a you transact on business and you do what you say you're going to do and you've spent and you did all the footwork you soldiered up doing the underwriting asking for feedback finding relationships I'm sure when you're at home and something there's just like like the thing you're going tonight there's always local events hey let's go have lunch let's take a broker to lunch yeah. hey, everybody's got to eat so if you're in yeah. town take them to lunch get to know them shake their hands yeah. they'll work harder for you won't they. Yep. You know, in a lot of these big cities, uh, like Marcus and Vilchap, for example, they, they put like on an annual event with all the apartment brokers, like a multifamily event in Dallas, and they'll do it in LA. I'm sure they do it in Phoenix as well. And they have like, um, you know, they have speakers come in, panels, stuff like that. You know, and you know who's going to be there is every broker that works for Marcus and Vilchap that sells apartments in that city. So take the time, spend 300 bucks, buy the ticket, go in town, and you get to meet these people. They're going to be there. And then, you have that interaction, like, hey, we emailed about this deal two months ago, and we talked on the phone, and want to put a face with a name, and, you know, it's, it's, it's really simple. People do business with people they know, like, and trust. So kind of the rule, you know, one of the one of the best rules you should live by is just don't be a jerk, right? Just be nice to these people, follow through, give feedback, you know, make sure that you have your ducks in a row, you know, so getting those relationships is one thing, but, you know, they're going to want to know where's your debt, where's your equity, who's going to manage it, you know, what have you done, if you haven't done it, how are you going to get it done? 
who's your partner, you know, how, you know, who's your team put right? a deal together. It's like, it's like a puzzle, right? You just yeah. got to put all the together and the picture becomes clear. And that's kind of what you need to lay out. That's how you do a transaction. That's what you need to convey with confidence to the broker that you can, you have all the pieces of the puzzle that you need and you can put them all together and close the deal. I, I, it's funny because people say, well, gosh, you're going to let them know that you're not, you don't have all the money because I'm a syndicator, right? But we, I mean, when we sell our deals, but then we put most of our money in our next deal. But, you know, you'll, I mean, in this business, you'll run out of money, your own money real quick. Like, yeah. so you, you know, and then you just, when your deals sell and you have your money, I, mean, I do it like anything else. I put it back to work. Like, I don't want it. I don't want my money. I want it out working. But brokers, they understand this language. They, they don't, but you just got to lay out the, you just like you just said, lay out the game plan, guys. That's, that's sage advice because that's what brokers don't like surprises, do they? No, not at all, right? And if you do have problems, you know, trying to make sure that these are your problems, not their problems, and you have a plan to go solve these problems, right? Yeah, yeah, it really is. And really, you know, go back to the team aspect uh, of that whole process, which you just explained, is that you just have to convey to the broker that you really are, I'm just reinstating what you said, that you do have the people in place to transact in the deal. But the other part is that is confidence. And if you're new, you're not going to have as much confidence starting out and that's okay um you can even say you're kind of new right but you don't want to be like you don't want to look new you don't want to look green you want to look like but you've built your team in other words if you are really new the best way to start a deal is what what do you would you say the best way to get in a deal oh uh, you know i mean I a lot of my people opinion start, i'll let you yeah, uh, first you know, if you do a lot of people start by being a passive in someone else's deal so if you have a little bit of money that's a good way to kind of get a little bit of a track record but you learn a lot kind of going through and being a passive and kind of observing what a, uh, you know, assuming they're a confident person that you invest with, but, you know, kind of observing a confident, experienced sponsor, you learn a lot along the way just kind of by observing and, and you get a lot of lingo. Um, you know, the other way really is, um, you know, that, that's one way and or, like I said, you just join sure, a rental uh, yeah. mentoring club and have someone that actually has been there and done that to kind of maybe hold your hand, teach you how to do this business. I've seen a lot of people be very successful kind of starting out that way. Um, yep. Cause you know, like you, uh, not everyone has the ability to be a banker and look at hundreds and thousands and thousands of deals and learn how to underwrite that way. I mean, I have a, I think a relatively unique background from a principal standpoint, so you can shortcut it by just uh, having someone and teach you how to do all this. Have someone that has, and it's already been there and just add value. Right. So like, you know, I think one of the easiest ways to get in a deal is to provide value for someone that has experience. Right. And a lot of times you can tap into somebody's experience and where they have a lot of, but you got a lot of the hustle, you got a lot of the grit, and you don't mind going out there and telling the story. Like, you know, I don't want to sit there and go call and do all the underwriting anymore. Like, I hate that stuff, but I love it when people do it for me, right? I'm like, listen, I'll partner all your deals. You bring qualified deals to me, I'll help do them, and we'll we'll get a piece that makes sense, and then and we'll we'll everybody wins. Yeah. Um, and so because that's just in my my business model. Like I, it's like my big picture says, I like sunsets and palm trees. I want to be on Kauai a lot. Yeah. Right. It really is about assembling the team. Where do you see yourself? So people that are listening to this, you know, oh gosh, he's super successful, yada, yada, yada. Or maybe I don't, what does the future look like? What, where do you go? I mean, you've done a pretty good success in a short period of time, but really what does that lead into? You know, so we, we've, uh, you know, we've been on a steady march. We've done a couple of things, right? So when we started out, we bought a lot of, a lot of real true workforce housing, right? So a lot of stuff in Texas, kind of think like 1960s, 1970s kind of vintage. Uh, that was the first couple of years of our career. Then, you know, about four or five years ago, we transitioned to a lot of B-class 
So yep. I think kind of Texas, like 1980s. And then uh, for the last three years, we've been doing kind of anywhere from B to A. But my most favorite part of the market is kind of that B plus, A minus. So in Texas, and kind of like mid-90s to all the way to about 2008. So in my opinion, that's the best part of the marketplace right now. We'll buy a little newer. We'll buy a little bit older. But that's kind of my, my most favorite part of the marketplace. Do you feel like you can hold those assets longer? Or do you still have? What's your yeah, usually time horizons? We sold all our workforce. We have one workforce deal left. It's just a great location. So we're just going to own it. Then we are our C stuff, and we have a few B deals. We're in the process of trying to like sell those out, trade them into better quality stuff. Because that exact reason that you know we were fortunate enough that we bought these deals, they were underperforming at the time. We had a capital plan, we forced value, but the entire time I've been owning, cap rates compressed 200, 300 basis points, and then rents grew at seven, eight percent for the first several years on top of the value we created by doing the upgrade. So, so that's like the perfect storm you've created. Right. So I go from looking, you know, like something, I think if we could double our money in five years to tripling it in two, and I look like a freaking genius, and, you know, some of that was me, and then some of that was the market, right? So right. some combination of that. I'm you smart put, enough to you realize put yourself that. in play. I get it, right? Like sometimes yeah, put things happen. To win, and we did, right? But on a, if I had to own that 1960s vintage deal that has uh, cast iron sewers and aluminum wiring and a boiler and a flat roof, there's going to be all these what I like to call non-recurring expenses that recur all the time on these old deals. So they don't yeah. actually impact your NOI because they're the capital items are below the NOI line. Right. But your plumber wants to get paid cash if he's got to dig up 10 feet underneath the property to replace the sewer line. So he's going to want to get that $10,000 check. So it actually hurts your actual operational cash flow that you could pay out to your investors. So I think a lot of these people are doing deals here recently that don't have a proper reserve set aside or capital cash up front. If they want to get in and out of this deal in two or three years, it's going to be fine. But they own that deal for seven or eight years. I think they're going to have a rude awakening coming their way when they Boy, own these. That's a, that's a big statement. So biggest risk for most new operators out there is being undercapitalized for longer term holds. I th- I would absolutely agree to that. Because, oh, craps happen about once oh, yeah. every, you know, month or every other month, it seems like. You know, like, oh, crap, we didn't know that. And it does, it'll affect cash flow. It'll affect your whole business plan. And so uh, when you hold those older properties, they do tend to break more often than not. Yeah. You know, when I, but it's uh, a place to things- start, you know, yeah. to, get, to get broke in. But just like, I, I think this is what I, I want people to are, see is that as you start maturing in the space, you start to trade up in, in to the nicer properties, right? You know, one, of the, one of the things I heard early on in this this business, someone told me this, and I, this, the older the property is, the more true the statement is. But you own apartments in dog years, right? Every year feels like seven in reality, right? So after a few years of, of owning this deal, it feels like you've owned it for 20 and you're ready to like sell it, move on to something else. So the older and the smaller the deal is, the more true that statement is. If you own a 300-unit deal that's five or 10 years old, you don't, it's not as big of a pain in the ass to own that thing as it is something that's 50 years old. And right, and 50, like it's right. 50 units or something, right? Yeah. So so that's just something that when people are starting out in this business, kind of think through that because, you know, usually one of two things happen when you get in the business. You buy a deal, you know, you buy what you can afford. So you tend to buy a little bit older, a little bit smaller when you're starting out. You get in the deal, one of two things going to happen. You can't get in and you're like, man, this fucking sucks. I want to sell this deal and get out of it. So you can't wait to sell it. But you get in it, man, like, this is great. I can't wait to sell this thing and buy something bigger. But these deals on the first couple of deals you do, you're most likely want to be in and out of these things a little bit quicker. So when you're putting the debt on it, when you're putting your structure together, kind of keep that in mind that 
you know, you might think, hey, I'm going from a single family house to a 50 unit deal. And I, why would I ever sell this deal? But one of those two things is probably going to happen. It really makes sense. Because let's talk about this too. And you know this well, because when you do sell, let's, let's say you keep something for three years, four years, that's probably, you know, at, at that point, you're like, ah, man, I can probably get out of debt, my financing, my debt without a whole uh, uh, expensive fees to get out of it. And if you can sell it and make a pretty good profit, it's in that sell price that I think you can really, that's when you get to turn it around because now you just made a, a truckload of money and you can take that plus your other investors' money into the next deal. You can get a bigger deal. You can get a more you know, newer deal. And it just it is trading up. And you'll start making more cash flow too. And the other thing too is if you're a syndicator and you're starting out and you're young, you need to go full cycle on these deals. You need to establish that track record because you're not going to be able to grow as quickly without us. You know, uh, there's a lot of ways from in to out, right? There's a lot of ways. One of the lot of analogies. There's a lot of ways to communicate with your investors. The best way to communicate with the investors is with a check, and everything else is secondary, right? So if you give them a little bit along the way, that's great. If you give them a big pop at the end, that's even better. You know, and then they, you know, because everything else is just you talking until you deliver them that check. And uh, as soon as you do it, they're going to give it back to you. Plus, you're going to tell all their friends. And that's kind of how you really grow your business. Cash down this golden, dude. That's a golden yeah. quote, right? Yeah. I might even, I'm, I mean, call that like that the title of this <laughs> segment, man. Because <laughs> yeah. they don't care until you give them a check, man. That's right. Everything <laughs> else is just you talking, right? That's the best way to communicate with people is just giving them money back. Isn't that the truth? Just doing what you said you're going to do and delivering them real money. Because in yeah. this business, you know it, Michael, I mean, a lot of people don't. There's a lot of shoddy operators out there, and it doesn't take a whole lot of work to be great. It's just by doing what you said you're going to do, right? Yeah. How often do you pay your investors uh, in we, your system? We do. Uh, so we started this out, and I wish I would have done that differently, but we started this way, so we still do it. We, we pay monthly distributions. So when you invest with me, when you sign up, you got to give me a routing and an account number because we don't do check. Right? We don't literally give you check. We'll send you an ACH, but... You know, so so we do monthly on the fifteenth of the month. We'll send out a monthly um, distribution, and at the end of the month, we send a, a monthly manager report out for the prior month. So we we communicate once a month, uh, once with an ACH, once with an actual email with a report and a narrative. So it's a pretty laborious process. It wasn't that big a deal when we had a handful of deals, but now right. you know, I do twenty five of these a month. It starts becoming a, a little bit more of a chore. It's like work, right? That's right. So maybe we do it once. A, well, so we pay uh, we pay quarterly. We, only, we, we do that's what I would monthly. recommend other people to do. Yes, that's and, but we do do the ACH now. That why is the ACH important? People lose checks and uh, they don't lose ACHs. Dude, I just had it today. I had an investor that she's out. Of, you know, she's a snowbird. And she went to New York. She's you know lives usually in Arizona, but she was in New York. And Corey, I didn't get. Now this is we have one property that we have to do checks, and we, we don't do them anymore. But we for a while we had to do checks. And gosh dang it, man! So we sent and I didn't get my money, Corey. I'm like Levon, we sent it. I here's I have it right here. She sees it. So she gets home just like last week, Corey, because she told me they forward her mail. Oh, Corey, they forward my mail. I I don't have the money. What's going on? And we just couldn't figure it out. I was like, gosh, I'm just going to wire you money. I don't care. She gets yeah. home and guess what? Guess what's in her mailbox? Yeah. yeah. Those checks. And so don't do checks. Do ACHs, okay? Yeah. <laughs> it's way yeah. better. It's way cleaner. And there's none of that. There's checks in the mail stuff because your investors hate it. And I hate it too. So good stuff. When you talk about like at the end of the day, what is this business giving you? Like let's talk about lifestyle for just a minute. You know, where you where you were at. 
where you're at now, what's the difference in your lifestyle? You know, it's been about six years and I feel sometimes it feels like it's been, you know, my entire life. And sometimes it feels like I was a banker 10 minutes ago, you know, kind of depending on, on what it, what it is, but you know, we've, we've certainly grown a lot, you know, so one of the things I've been finding the most interesting and the most challenging, I was always a guy that could do deals, right? We just did a lot of deals as a banker and now I just do them as a principal. So I was always a deal junkie doing deals. Um, but you know, how, how do you manage, I'm a 1200 K ones this year. I have 700 some odd unique investors. And, you know, so how do you manage all that and all the stuff and having 25 assets, almost 6,000 units in the portfolio today. And, you know, it's a problem business, man. There's always a problem either on the property or there's a problem with your investor pool. There's always a problem, right? Some are big, some are small, but you know, constantly, how do you do that and still have, you know, a wife, kids and travel and all, all that stuff. So really it was about building up the infrastructure of the team. You know, we, we just kind of went from guys doing deals, hired uh, hired one of our first key employees to really helped us kind of take and build out a process and procedures for everything we do and standardize. Yes, it. process and procedures, and then, people. Yeah, and then we got, you know, set, as simple as from having like group emails. When you email this property, I can have a group email that everyone's in there versus having to remember everyone's email addresses and then like doing the ACHs. <laughs> well, what then, happens when someone dies? What happens when someone uh, needs to get out yeah. of a deal for whatever reason? How yeah. to, or, they, or there's a divorce, like yeah. what? Getting, getting investor database, storing and tracking all the distribution amounts. Make sure you have that ready for the K ones. Making sure you're doing your fair market value forms for all the IRAs. You know, like it's just like any one thing is not a big deal, but it's like ten minutes here and twenty minutes there, and just like adds up. And so you got to scale your system out, get the people, and if you do that right, then you can go to Hawaii for two weeks and. The place runs just as well if I'm here or there, you know, because I'm not in, I'm not like working, you know, the cliche of working on your business, not in your business. I've gotten myself to that point. You know, my, I'm, I'm very critical uh, to the key cog of either raising money or finding deals. You know, that those are the two highest and best uses of my time to find money. Finding deals find and finding money. Find and everything deals. else is noise, right? It's important. You got to manage it, right? You got to communicate. You got to operate. You got to do all that stuff. The way you make money is you go find deals and find money. So that's why I need to focus my time on is uh you know investor relations and, and broker relationships and those are really where i and those are the two things i like right that's uh, that, man isn't that nice to be that crystal clear on what i mean you're one of the ones that articulated probably the best i've had on my on my show of being very crystal clear on what your role is yeah right and when you know that like everything else just like you said i like use your word noise it's just noise and you yeah. just put people in stat in places to handle the noise that's got to get done but that allows you to focus on what probably Michael does best, and I know yeah. this about you, which is the brokers and the and the money. Yeah, like that's what you should be doing. That's right. That's and that's what you need to get to. But when you start out, you do everything. You do the ten dollar yeah, hour task, right. and you do the thousand dollar hour task. And you, just, you as you start going, you get asset management fees, you make an acquisition fee, you build your, you get some capital, you build your infrastructure out. You know, every time we get an asset management fee, we're constantly, you know, constantly have more overhead than we do asset management fees. And we're just kind of investing in the infrastructure. And one day, hopefully soon, that'll, that'll flip where we're, you know, completely self-sustaining from just asset management fees on the ongoing revenue. Do you guys self-manage? No, we use a third-party management company. Um, so we have one that manages our portfolio. We kind of grown with them. You know, there's no right or wrong to that, but I'm a banker and I don't want to deal with that kind of crap. So I just have a, a good professional third-party management company. I think all things being equal, no one cares about your money more than you do. So I think being vertically integrated is 
better. But for, you know, 3%, you get pretty damn close. Pay, pay that yeah, out, and right? just stick close to them, right? BNB real close to that process, right? So I Yeah, think- so we have, we have a professional asset manager, you know, so this guy has 15 years of professional experience before I hired him. So he's a really high-level guy. That you know, hell, he he does this better than I do it, right? Because he's in all the minutia. I mean, you know, I know enough about operations, obviously, to be dangerous, right? And I right. Know but about, you're I know not an operating guy. Number. You're you're the but big banker, picture right? guy. Yeah, you're, you're banker, the, I, I do the I, I do the capital stack, and yeah, that's, that, that's what I excel at. I don't excel at all the minutia and the revenue management software, which you know. But fortunately, you can pay someone else that's an expert, and they they can do it for you, right? And, and I know we're talking higher level stuff here, but guys realize that that's not where we started right i mean he, he really he started he, when the beginning show i was doing single families he just learned this is how this business works as as you start to grow you start to bolt on and add the little pieces it's not just a oh god we gotta have all this before we start you just get into motion get some deals going and then you start learning to okay you know now we're starting to get busy i you know i gotta i gotta free up my time to do so i can hunt, hunt and gather money and deals so I got to take, and so let's take a little piece of this profit and let's put it over here. We'll call it, you know, and charge those asset management fees, right? Yeah. Because you you should. Like, I, I'm a firm believer you should be charging some money to manage these deals because internally it takes team and process to handle your investors and yeah. everything that has to do with the deal. Would you agree? Yeah. No, it, it's irresponsible not to, to be, to be honest with you, because if you get hit by a bus, Someone's got to come behind you and do it, so you're gonna to have to pay someone else to do it. So the deal, the deal can't support, you know, reasonable and market kind of compensation for the sponsor. Then you shouldn't be doing it. Because the deal. sooner you can get to not being a one man band, the actually safer it is for everybody. That's right. Um, that's in your deal. Because that's one of the things that we've kind of learned as as we got into this business. When we started out, we had you know two man law firm and a sole practitioner CPA. And then uh, you know one day he's fine, but one day you know four or five years ago my CPA pretty young guy had a little mild stroke and I was thinking like, Oh no, he's fine. But it was like, Oh crap. Like <laughs> this guy goes down, I got a big problem. So, you know, we, we started building out all our service providers like, you know, we got to get bigger and we need to, you know, the bigger we get, the less it's about Michael Becker, the more it's about our SPI and our system. It's true. You have, it's a company. You have a company culture, right? Yes. You know, we need to have redundancy within our CPAs and with our lawyer, you know, my lawyer, you know, had a baby. So then you, you know, like I can't not do my deal because he's, out, uh, you know, with his wife, you gotta, you gotta, the, the, the world keeps going. So you, you have a CPA or a, you know, a PPM lawyer, another PPM lawyer, you a couple backups. That's and, right. And, and you, you just gotta make friends with everybody. Cause that, that is, that's another good nugget is funny how that works is as you grow, your business is growing. You've realized that I can't, I need bigger firms to support me because we can't have downtimes, especially cause when you start having the amount of money that you have for me, I, I think, I, I don't know what I have, but I don't have nearly what you have, but yeah. that's a lot of pe- that's money. That's people's money that you're responsible for. I mean, at yeah. the end of the day, I mean, that's what it comes down to. Like people trust you and your company, and for you making good decisions, so you owe it to your capital to think big. Wouldn't you agree? And and to, yeah, try to you, work towards you know, that goal. You know that one hundred percent. Definitely one of the things you just got to maybe think of is you know we've raised about one hundred eighty million dollars in, in my career, right? So you know, so a lot of money, right? Yeah, um, and one thing I've learned through this process was like I said, sell over seven hundred unique investors. I mean, twelve hundred K ones. When someone invests with me, they give me a hundred thousand dollars. You know, I have their money, and if I don't communicate with them, they think you stole their money, right? So you need to make sure that on a regular scheduled interval that you're communicating with them. 
know, like I said, the best way to communicate is to check, and then the second best is with the report, the email, and whatever. You need to be responsible. And that's all it really does take, though, truly, right? I, I mean, I've got my investors, and they don't really give much too much problem. Like you send the report, here's what's going on in the deal, here's complete financials, and then when it's time to get their checks, they get their checks. Uh-huh. If you'll do those two things, most people are pretty quiet. The the other thing I've noticed too through this process is like what do you you know right now if 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 I get a bad feeling about you on the front end I'm not going to take your money right if I feel like you're you're super needy or there's just some sort of personality conflict I'm going to take your money and that's easy for me to say today right when you're starting out you need that fifty thousand dollar check or that hundred thousand dollar check sometimes you compromise on that and what I found in my career is every time I had a bad feeling about someone and I took their money anyways they've always come back and been a pin in my side right so hold on um, time out time out. Put the exclamation point on this. Listen, everybody just hear what he just said, okay? If you have a feeling that someone's not right, even though you really think you need the money, you don't need the money because it will be a bigger pain in the butt. I have this experience. I know it, and I know you know it. Just walk away and say no. It'll be the most liberating thing you'll ever say. So when you don't take this advice, you take that money, you'll, you'll know what we're, we're, we're saying. But, and then you'll have um, experience you know, like us. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is easy from this position today, but six years ago, you know, it, when it's between you doing this deal or not doing the deal, sometimes you, you And the truth is, I've taken the money just like you have taken the money, yeah. right? I'm like, gosh, so damn it. That, that said, I'm taking the money. I wish I wouldn't have. But yeah, at the get, but, stuff like that. But I had to do it, right? Do is I'm very crystal clear. Like, this is the level of communication you can get from me. This when I'd be integral. If you have a question here or there, that that's fine. You know, I'm here to, you know, I have your money. I'm here to, to take care of it. So I'm okay answering questions, but I'm not here to have an hour long call with you every single month because you give me about why this thing you spent this money for this one thing. Because you're like, dude, I don't even know, man. Like, listen, the, the numbers are on track for the whole big picture. So I don't know what this one little thing is. And it's not my job to know because we have other people to do lots of. Now we can go find out, but if we got to keep finding out every month, yeah. You're probably going to never be invited to one of our deals ever again. That's right. Yeah. So we have a black ball list and it gets getting longer and longer and longer. Right. So, you know, 99% of the people are great. It's just uh, the, the, the very small percentage sometimes that come, come wear you out. But yeah, that is, uh, that is that's, that's a good point though. Just to say, just to really realize, and that comes, you guys, that'll come with maturity. Don't you think? I mean, as you get more mature in the business and you get more confident in your money raising ability and what you're doing. And honestly, saying no is one of the hardest words ever. Is it not? Yep. yep. Two letters, exactly. one word, no. But it's sometimes hard. But once you get better at saying it, and for the right reasons, because you know that you don't want to accept that pain that comes with it, saying no is probably the hardest thing to do, but it's probably one of the most beneficial you'll ever do, too. And one of the other things I wish I would have done from with the benefit of hindsight is when we started out, I, I had no idea we we're going to get as big as we got. But like, I would put like my, uh, my email out there, my, my cell phone number out there, and then all of a sudden now all these people want a piece of me. And so I get all these, these random calls and stuff. So now you go to my website, you can't find my email or my phone number anywhere. You call the main number and then I have a gatekeeper that kind of kind of gets you between you and me because I just don't want that out there. But I still get these phone calls and this and that. And so if you think, you know, uh, it doesn't take that much to set up an office phone number on Ring or Ring Central or, you know, get a, get a Gmail will host your email for you for like $10 a month and get a company website and these are all things that maybe you should do um, kind of early on and then don't get your cell phone number out there because if you do grow and get big, at some point you don't want these things coming directly at They'll you. They'll come so you by to you. At the start, but then <laughs> at some point it's easy to flip that to a gatekeeper to kind of be between you. It's and when the, you hand your phone to your admin and say, just so you, it's yours now, I'm going to go get a new yeah. one. That's right. <laughs> 
forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Listen, brother, uh, dude, what a great show, man. Uh, final thoughts for anybody that's out there new to inspire them to uh, yeah. to stay in the business. And, and you know, I mean, I think I think it's really as simple as this. You know, it's a completely unfair business, right? So it's, it's a tough world. It's completely unfair. Uh, as much as so much as a lot of the politicians now is want to make the, everything uh, results even, you know, it's it's a complete meritocracy, right? Either you can do the deal or you can't. You can get it done or you can't. And nothing's more true in this business right here, right? And a lot of it's who you know, what you know, what chips you can trade. Um, you know, me having a lot of experience versus you that has none. Uh, the world doesn't care. I'm going to win that deal almost every single time, right? So that's the way it is. So you've got to get yourself, you know, get real about where you are, where you start, what you have. If you have more money, you have an advantage over someone that's broke, right? So then if you're broke, you got to figure out how do I, you know, how do I accumulate some capital? Do I go flip some houses? Do I get a better paying job? Do I live below my means and accumulate some money? And, you know, whatever you got to do to get to that point, you know, so that, that certainly is. Everyone starts with what they have and where they are. So you just got to be really real about that. And then start working your way into getting these relationships a little bit at a time after you get educated so you don't come in looking like a fraud out of the gate. And then, you know, it's just the, the, the analogy I like to use is like a ladder, right? You got to climb one rung at a time. Some of us climb those rungs a lot faster than the other ones, but, you know, you got to do one at a time. If you miss a rung, you're going to fall back down. So, you know, make sure you have a good roadmap out. Start doing a little bit at a time. Keep going forward. And, you know, you're going to look back and, and, you know, in a few years, if you stay consistent and diligent with it, you know, you can accomplish a lot in a, in a relatively short period of time. And sometimes some people is a little longer than others, but, you know, that that's certainly what I would what I would do, you know, and it's a completely unfair business. You just got to get yourself on the right side of the unfairness more than the wrong side. Right. Because, you know, I feel like I get I get wronged on a, on a regular basis, but I have my unfair share of the, of the right side of that more than I do the wrong side of it. Amen to that, brothers. Listen, so if people want to get a hold of you and not call yeah. you personally, yeah. how, how do they find you, brother? <laughs> two, two ways, right? So, uh, so you know, the, the best way to kind of learn more just about what we do is much like Corey. I co-host a podcast called The Old Capital Real Estate Investing Podcast. I co-host with a guy named Paul Peoples. So you can find uh, the you search for Old Capital either on iTunes or Stitcher or probably anywhere you hear my voice right now that Corey's uh, on. I'm probably on that as well. So it's Old Capital. But you go to the website, which is oldcapitalpodcast.com. Or the other way, really, my company that I run is, uh, is SPI Advisory. So you can simply go to our company's website, which is www.spiadvisory.com. That's S-P-I, like spy, advisory.com. There, there's a contact us form. Fill that out. I'm always happy to have a 10 to 15-minute telephone call with people on a meet off a podcast if you're potentially interested in uh, working with us and, and kind of learning more about what we do. Dude, very cool, guys. Listen, uh, hopefully everybody listening right now, what an ins- inspirational story. We actually, we covered a lot of really good stuff, a lot of great points. Michael Becker, thank you so much for having me on, yep. or having uh, having you on my podcast, for coming, showing up. Guys, listen, mindset is 99% of the game. It really is what can take you from, hey, I'm struggling, I want to do it, I want to do it, I want to do it real bad, to gosh dang it, look, I'm doing it. And it is like that ladder that Michael just said. It is one step at a time. You can't skip the rungs. You've got to go and hit each step or you're going to fall down and then you have to start from scratch again. Don't make that mistake. Be diligent in your process. If you believe it, you can achieve it. Your paradise is possible. 